0: Welcome to the J2 Hub Podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sohota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more.
1: So welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast uh, where I've been focusing this series on women in property. Now, I'd like to try and take full credit for this series, but I absolutely cannot because it was my wife's idea who said, listen, James, you need to be speaking to more ladies in the field because ladies are doing great things. And I'm so glad I did because as the weeks have been going on, um, I'm speaking to some amazing people and um, what I'm finding generally is ladies are just keeping their things to themselves and just plodding along and cracking on doing some amazing deals and not really making any noise about it. And, you know, unlike us men who are quite, um, you know, open and out there, want to turn up to networking events, chest pumped out, just saying, hey, I'm involved in this, I'm doing a nine bedroom conversion, I've got a commercial conversion going on. Um, I think what you lads are going to see is when this series drops, that there's a lot of women out there that have just been quiet, just been observing, and they are doing some amazing things. And it and it just simply shocks me every single time I speak to a new lady. So this morning, I'm joined by Faith Lochkin from The Property Hustle. Faith, thank you very much for joining me this morning.
0: Thank you for having me, James.
1: No problems at all. So like I said, it's uh, the main focus today is about women in property and the things women are doing. But before I get into that, I want to ask you, why do you do what you do and what is your ultimate why?
0: Oh, that's a really good question to start with.
1: (laughs) I like to flip it up a bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a deep one. Um, Well, I mean, to be able to answer that in in its fullest, I need to kind of give you a little bit of, of a backstory as to where I've come from. So I was born in Uganda um and we came over here my family and I when I was I was about four years old um we were refugees we were fleeing the war um and for as long as I can remember ever since I was little I've always had this desire to provide shelter to provide homes to provide um you know infrastructure and actually impact people in that way um and my dream was always to go into property to be able to go back home to Uganda and develop out there because there's the town where I was born is still very much developing, um, and I'd love to be able to build schools, libraries, um, you know, hospitals, all, all and everything that you need, essentially, um, in terms of infrastructure. So that's kind of my big why as to why I do what I do. Wow,
1: that's powerful. That's powerful. I mean, generally, I can I can kind of second guess what people are going to say, and nine times out of ten, it's I want more time. Uh, I've not had one where I want to go back and build schools and towns and infrastructure. So that's a really deep one. So good on (laughs) you for that. Um, But can I ask you, tell me a little bit about yourselves between the ages of, say, when you were 16 years old and how it developed to where you are now?
0: So... (laughs) Like at 16 years old, I was obviously still in school. Um, I used to watch loads of property shows, you know, your homes under the hammer, like all those cliche um, property shows. And I used to look at them and think, you know, I wish I could be in a position, you know, where I could buy a property, do it up and then, you know, make a profit. Um, but I used to think, or I would look at people like that and think, you know, that's completely out of my league. I'm never going to be in a position where I have enough money, you know, growing up in a council flat, like you're, you you do not Your money mindset is just a bit, I guess, warped and you think um, the best way to kind of get out of your situation is to get educated and get yourself into into a good job. So I actually left school. um, I went to Nottingham University and I studied languages, much to my mum's dismay, (laughs) because for the longest time I was definitely going down the engineering route. Um, she's a classic African mum you know you're either going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist kind of thing um, and I just one day decided I, like, I don't want to be stuck in labs I don't want to be a scientist I want to I want to do languages I want to travel I want to be able to communicate with other people so I went off to uni I did Spanish and Mandarin um, and I did a year abroad and that was amazing um, and then during my time at university I would still be going to like auctions I was still um, I, I got a job as a part-time, um, well, not part. I was volunteering essentially um, as an estate agent. Um, I was working in their like residential sales department, and that was like my first ever real property job. Um, and I was nineteen at the time. And I kind of, the way I got it, I just kind of emailed all the local estate agents, and I was just like, "Please let me work for you. I will work for free. I'll do whatever." And I rearranged my whole university schedule just to be able to um, work, you know, Tuesday mornings or Tuesday. Day, um with this residential um, agency and through that I able I was able to leverage that and get into um Savills' summer internships so I worked in their commercial development team in central London um for a, a month and then I went out to China and I got an internship out there as well with a property company um so that was obviously through all of this I'm kind of building up um, a really good kind of CV and, and work experience in terms of property came back from my year abroad and applied to various um, graduate schemes to to become a commercial surveyor um, because I thought you know the best way to get into property is to become qualified and, and you know be a surveyor um, and yeah I applied to all the kind of big four surveying firms and uh, that's how I kind of ended up at JLL where I am at the moment.
1: Wow Wow. A couple of things you said there, you know, um, uh, number one, I want to pick up on. You said that, you know, you grew up in a council flat and, um, you know, your your mindset on money was kind of very limited. I mean, similar situation to me. I grew up in East London, you know, single parent family. And you kind of, I just watched my mum hustle, you know, I just Mm. watched her work two jobs. I lost my dad when I was quite young. So she kind of had to take on most of the responsibility. And you kind of, you kind of learn some really good things from your parents when you see them in a situation like that. I learned, you know, the essence of hard working from her. But at the same time, it really restricted my mindset on money because I could see she was constantly saving, only using what she had and, you know, cutting out coupons and trying to save money wherever she could. Would you say your mindset on money was limited as well due to what your parents were doing? Or were you following their mindset on money?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, uh, to be honest, we have a very similar upbringing. So I lost my dad quite, quite young as well. So my mum okay. basically raised all of us um, and she, you know, would work as many jobs as she needed to um, to put food on the table. Um, and watching her hustle, like I always say that I get my hustle and drive from her because she had to make it. You know, she couldn't, mm-hmm. she couldn't rest on her laurels. And um, that's what's basically pushed me to get to where I am and, and you know, and succeed essentially. But yeah, I think my, I just kind of grew up with a, with a poor mindset and I'm still, to this day, I'm very much a saver. I'm very much a, like I, you know, I'm very cautious with my with my money, but at the same time I'm an investor. So I do take risk. It's, it's a weird one. Cause I, I, I recognize that you have to take risk to get reward and return. But at the same time, I'm like very calculated with with the risk that I take um, in any kind of property venture. So yeah, I definitely money mindset was limited, and I, I like as I've gone through you know education and teaching myself and learning and and getting to where I am in the industry now. I'm very much open to, um, you know, being able to take on investment and, you know, not seeing money as 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 a barrier. Really, you know, I I will now look at deals and bid on deals without even necessarily having all the finances in place because I've kind of got that attitude now that you know, with good deals, you know, you will find the money. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's, uh, that's really uh, remarkable what you said there about your mum. I mean, similar to myself, you know, I, I always say to people that my, I would say that my mum is probably one of my biggest role models, because, you know, I always say to her, I say, mum, what you achieved with your, you know, limiting resources that you had, and you came over from India in the 1950s. And, you know, You went through some real hard stuff, you know, you went through some serious amounts of racism, you know, it was difficult for you to get a job, you didn't know the English, uh, sorry, the English language, and you, you know, you've managed to get yourself on the property ladder, you bought a house, you paid that house off, you put me and my sister through university, and I think to try and kind of put that in today's terms, in terms of a monetary value, I said that is pretty damn good going because that's what most people really just want to do is own a house and have a decent standard of living. And you, you know, you've done it. You got a T-shirt. You walk the walk. So for me, she's always been, you know, like a massive role model. And I, and I'm, I'm starting to think now. I think maybe we need to get our mums on this. uh, On this powerful women series, you know. (laughs)
0: We (laughs) do definitely. I'd love to hear your mum's story. Honestly, definitely get her on.
1: Yeah, she's secretly been joining the property geos show on the, on a Thursday. Like, I know I can see her name just there, and she's there, just kind of observing in and always having a go at me if we kind of use any bad language. But yeah, no, that might be something for for later on down the line. Faith, you talked about um, you know you you just went out there, you put yourself out there, you rang every single estate agent, and uh, uh, got yourself a you know a uh, a position, unpaid position. I mean, what was your thinking behind doing that?
0: I just wanted to learn. I, I, I recognised that, you know, I'm a language student. Like, what do I know about property apart from watching property shows? Um, so I just thought if there's an opportunity where I can learn um, under someone and just get my foot in the door, that will then give me the leverage to then go on and do, you know, paid work experience, which I then did, you know, six months later. So it was just, I was just hungry for it, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: no that's nice to hear because i mean uh, i'm constantly pushing this as well i say to the youngest the younger lot coming up i say this you've got so many resources you know you've got books you've got great podcasts you've got great youtube channels you've got people openly talking about stuff and yeah. i said don't forget the best thing you've got is the ability to just to walk into somewhere and say look can i work for you for nothing yeah and most people Uh, any boss who's sensible will probably take you on and use you as a resource within their business and at the same time you're getting something very beneficial back um, in terms of learning and education but some people I think want it too easy and don't realize there's a there is a bit of a you know a a journey you need to go on to get to where you need to get to and I think everybody's kind of been on that certain level of journey.
0: Yeah we're living in that kind of instant gratification world aren't we? Mm. People kind of just you know, want the money to be able to buy, you know, flashy stuff. They're not thinking long term. Um, And to be honest, I I don't think I was necessarily thinking long term. I just kind of knew that, you know, I've got nothing to offer by way of skills. So I, you know, I wasn't expecting to be paid at all.
1: Mm -hmm. That's good you identified that and you, you know, foot in the door. So moving on, you've uh, you've now got on, you've got your uh, grad scheme going on. I want to know about your first deal. Tell me about your first deal. How did it happen? Where did you get the money from and how did it all come together?
0: Oh, so, uh, so I started at JLL like September, 2015. And within a month I was like, right, I, I need to be investing for myself. I can't just be advising people. I need to also be doing it. Um, So that's when I started looking. And originally I started looking in London and I was like, after about a few months of looking, I was like, I can't (laughs) afford to buy it. (laughs) What am I (laughs) thinking about? Um, And so then I thought, okay, what, I had a mentor at the time um, and he said, "Okay, well, what other areas do you know that you're confident in? And I thought, you know what, I was an estate agent in Nottingham. Like, I know the area. I lived there for four years. Um, So I might as well look in Nottingham. And that's kind of where I pinpointed my goldmine area, as they say. Um, And I had a friend who was still studying, who was doing their final year at uni. So I paid him to do my viewings for me. Oh, um nice. yeah yeah I mean he was learning as well because he was interested in property so I was like do you know what you know do the viewings I'll, I'll pay you um and I think I offered I, I might have offered him like maybe 10 properties before like well once one initially stuck and then once I got my building sphere to go around it he was like okay this is going to need a lot of work so I chipped on the price and lost out on that deal um but I'm glad that I, I did chip on it because literally the week following week another property came up in the area which didn't need as much work and was actually priced um 10 grand below what the other one had been so i was like this is a steal um so i offered on that and at the time i actually only had about five grand in savings um (laughs) (laughs) so i didn't have enough to actually purchase property but um again i reached out to my networks and i was able to get um so my brother essentially was my proof of funds um so he was like, yeah, he sort of set, sent his, you know, bank account details or whatever. Um, and that coupled with my mortgage and principal was enough for me to kind of get the ball rolling. And then the actual conveyance in took about six months. So by the time those six months were up, I'd already saved the deposit, which was about 17 grand. Um, so that's kind of, that's how it happened. It was literally on a hope and a prayer. Like I just kind of went for it. Cause in my mind I was like, okay, if I don't manage to, because obviously exchange is, is the point of no return, right? So I'm like, okay, I've got between offer accepted to exchange to come up with this money um, <laughs> <laughs> by hook or crook. I'm going to make it happen. And, I, and, and that's what I did. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, three years later, it's, it's one of those kind of let and forget properties. I bought it. I spent um, about three grand doing up. So 1,500 of that was on, damp, on a damp proof course. Um, and then another 1,500 on just light cosmetics um you know paint walls and ceilings new flooring and kitchen and bathroom um and then got it let out in a day um because the area is are that in that much demand um and it's yeah been ticking along nicely ever since
1: wow i love your hustle on it so you kind of <laughs> you just thought right i'm having it i've only got five grand but i'll just figure the rest out later
0: yeah exactly exactly wow.
1: Classic Richard Branson and it commit now and figure a rest out later. I'm sure you must've been reading that book at the time.
0: <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I'd, I'd read um, Richard Branson's um, biography and yeah. So I was just sort of, of that mindset. Cause I just, I don't know. I've just always had this ultimate like belief that things will go well. I don't know. It's weird. Mm. It's weird. You have to have this like confidence um, to go forth and do it. Like, obviously you have to be smart. Like you can't just, pick a bad deal and just keep trying to push the bad deal along um but I just I knew it was a good deal I knew the area I was like this is gonna work and how I got around to it
1: did you have a particular strategy in mind or was it just let me just get on the ladder and buy something
0: well it was just get on the ladder and buy something mainly because my end goal has always been development and to focus on development and at the time my mentor said you know to, to be able to access development finance, you need to be considered um, a, an experienced investor. At the moment, you're under 25. I think I was 22 at the time. It was like, you're 22, you, you don't own property. Um, if you were to go to, you know, a development um, lender, they'd like laugh you out the room kind of thing. So <laughs> I was like, right, I just need to get on the ladder. So that was, that was, that that property was purely just a, you know, get on the ladder And then move on to development but then what ended up happening was once i'd gotten that property i then i basically i I followed shiny penny syndrome i reckon because i ended up going off and doing a couple of rent to rents um Mm -hmm. and then you know finding my way back (laughs) to, to development um but it was good actually you know those rent to rents i got a bit of cash in my pocket um uh, which was, you know, it's always nice to have a bit of extra cash, but it was very management intensive. Um, and I was doing my part-time masters. I was working full-time and I was um, doing my qualification to become a charter surveyor. So something had to give. So once those unit, once the term on those units had come to an end, I was like more than happy to hand it back to the landlord. I was like, take it. Let me just focus on actually getting my studies done, wrote my dissertation, um, graduated, then qualified um, and now I'm like, okay, now I can look back at, you know, start chipping away at development. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And looking at some more units as well up north.
1: So when you, uh, when you had this shiny penny syndrome for rent to rent, did it have anything to do with our friends Napa or TJ by any chance?
0: Well, no, I don't think I I didn't know Napa at the time. I, I did know TJ, but I knew that I didn't want to go down service to accommodation. I was like, that is not my bag. Um, but, what happened was because I I'm the kind of person that like, I like to read and understand different strategies. So along with buy to let's, so I you know, had an understanding of buy, refurb, finance. I'd read on like, a lot of, about rent to rent. Um, and I he- overheard my mum having a conversation with a family friend once. Um, and this lady was pregnant at the time and she was living at her partner's place. And so her flat was sitting empty in Peckham um, and she'd been struggling to get it let. And it's a, mind you, it's a one bed flat. And um, so then I basically, being and me said, oh, I can help with that. You know, I can solve that <laughs> problem. Because um, I was like, so then I spoke to her and it turned out it was an unencumbered flat. Um, and all she really wanted was, you know, some someone in there that could cover the ground, rent the service charge and have a little bit of extra cash for her. She wasn't trying to get any like top dollar by any means. So I basically guaranteed her, um, I think it was 500 a month. And wow. then the, the tenant that I got in there was paying eight 50 a month. So I was getting three fifty in my pocket every month for pretty much doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I, to be honest, I didn't follow all of the like proper like rules or contracts or all that kind of stuff. I just knew that I knew the market. I lived down the road from Peckham. So I was like, I know this flat will get snapped up, you know, completely any mm-hmm. day of the week. Um, and that's just how I kind of got onto that. Um, <laughs> doing a rent to rent with a one bed apartment of all things <laughs> is, do you still have that one bed or have you given that back no no no, no. I gave that back yeah. I gave that back I was like oh, yeah I'm done because the tenant is just, just all right but um after a while she did cause some issues so yeah I just saw the contract through um and then once the lady had had the baby she actually then moved back in with her partner so it was yeah it was only a short-term contract
1: right okay so where are you at the moment with your deals then since the one you bought in nottingham what's happened since then
0: so last week actually i went to auction um okay. to try and buy a property a couple of streets over from the one in nottingham at the moment and honestly james i don't know if you're finding this but people are bidding like crazy Focus. yep <laughs> i was just like so this property, it's it's um the vendor passed away and it was meant to be sold back in April, but that was like the week it was meant to be sold. We went into like full lockdown, so it got pulled. Um, but I've been tracking it and following it. I've been like hounding the solicitors who are um being like the executors of the state. I've been like emailing them and being like, you know, when's this coming back? I want you know I want to buy. it, I want to buy it. Um, but obviously they're then you know not responding or not contacting me. So when I saw it coming back up, I thought this is perfect. Um, it was like literally run down two bed. It needs everything doing to it. Like new doors, new windows, like the roof at the back is falling caving in. Um, but it's on a street where, um, you know, two bed in really good condition goes for just over a hundred K. Um, and this was guiding 50 K. So, and I've got a team of builders and stuff up there. So I knew that the works, I could get the works done for between 10 to 15 grand. So I was like, this is the perfect buy refurb refinance deal. Um, The bidding started at 40K. Yeah. (laughs) Within less than a minute, it already hit 50.
1: Wow.
0: Like when I'd run my numbers, my kind of end, like top end was 55. So within three minutes, it had already surpassed my top end. So I I wasn't even able to really like properly go in and bid. Um, And then interestingly enough, the majority of other bidders also dropped off in the mid 50s range. And then it was just these two bidders going back and forth for about 45 minutes. And it ended up selling for 85 grand. And I'm just like, it doesn't make sense because they're going to spend 10 to 15 grand doing it up. um, And then they're just not going to make any money on it. So I imagine whoever's buying it definitely has to be buying it cash and probably doesn't really care about the returns. It's probably just looking for, you know, put their money in something and get a decent yield i don 't mm. think their investors really like have the mindset of you know buy and refurb refinance in it was just I was absolutely shocked absolutely shocked
1: i mean that sounds like a, more like a retail price than a wholesale price does 't it like, exactly. kind of, almost ninety thousand pounds but you 're right faith i've seen the same thing, and i actually i was on an auction where I purchased something just a couple of days into lockdown and uh, Auction House London said that this was the best auction they've ever done. It's raised the most amount of money, and, and it's been consistent. I'm looking at auction results, and, you know, you see it in London. Okay, they raise 17 million or 18 million, and since lockdowns happened, I'm seeing 22, 23, 24, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And the only thing I can think is there's a hell of a lot of people at home that have shed loads of money in the bank, and they're worried that their money is eroding and they are just thinking, do you know what? I'll put it into a bit of property because, okay, the property might go down, but over time it will go back up. Whereas money sitting in the bank is just eroding, eroding, eroding. So that's that's the only logical thing I can think. And there's so many new faces in auctions. And, you know, the auctioneer says it as well because they can virtually see people now on Zoom room cameras and they're like, Mm. we've got a lot of new faces here. And are people taking up property development as a new thing since being at home? (laughs)
0: I I I genuinely think I agree with you in terms of people realizing that their money is not, you know, it's, it's making nothing in the bank and I've actually had an influx of investors come to me saying, you know, what's your next deal? We want in, we you know, we we want to like either, you know, do a loan agreement and make some some kind of return. Um so that alone tells me that people don't really want their money in in savings. Mm-hmm
1: it's either that or people have got loads of bounce back loans sitting there that they want to use up.
0: (laughs) Oh, we don't mention that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, we'll keep that one a bit quiet. you know, like you say, my latest deal, I've, I've probably paid 25, maybe close to 30,000 pounds over what I would have paid any other time of the day. But again, Mm. stock is really scarce and it's just going way over asking price. And Yeah. yeah, it's, I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm a little bit, would I say I'm worried no I'm just a little bit concerned that maybe people ain't doing their figures but I don't know it's a shaky time isn't it really we just don't know what's going on
0: exactly exactly so I mean I'll keep an eye out for any you know similar deals um, in Nottingham I'm also about to do um, another direct mail campaign Um, but otherwise like my focus right now is more on development Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been looking at um, deals down in South London, so I focus kind of in Croydon, um, Bromley, Lewisham. You know, anything sort of south of the river because that's where I live. Um, and yeah, I've been looking at deals, both you know, with planning, subject to planning, um, trying to make it stack. But I'm finding, and you might be finding the same, is that people are again overpricing um, and you know just want so much more for for what what it's actually worth um, in terms of like once I've done the residual um Appraisal. I'm like, it's just not worth it. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of a hard slog at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, I'm very much finding that because I, well, I mean, we were supposed to meet on site on one of my builds, uh, but afraid it's it's let out now, so we can't do that. But again, like you, it's south, it's southwest. Uh, sw 17 is the area and you know finding small portions of land or parcels of land is what i would do and that's been my strategy and anything that is coming up it's just way overpriced and yeah. you're looking at it and you're thinking why would i want to pay that i'm, I'm talking maybe a hundred thousand pounds over what it would normally be and you're thinking now something doesn't add up here and I, and only thing i can think is people are just getting planning uplift and try and push it for as much as they can well. uh, in the hopes that they might sell it but I haven't seen any deals that I've been able to move on, especially land. But before lockdown, it was loads—loads yeah. loads of little bits everywhere.
0: I'm, an, I'm looking at a deal down in Thornton Heath at the moment, um, and it's like an—it's basically an old—it's an industrial unit with some land at the back, um, and the owner wants eight hundred thousand for it, but. When I've looked at like Land Reg, they bought it back in 2013 for 230,000, and they've gone through planning twice and had planning refused twice, and now they're trying to price it at 800,000. I'm like, like, what makes you think someone's going to come and buy it? Like, you're, you're, you know, you. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just, Is that
1: is that 800 without planning?
0: Without planning. Wow. Wow. The planning has been refused twice. <laughs> wow. I was. I told the agent. I was like, "Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm not going to be paying more than you know, four hundred, maybe even five hundred for it." Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it. It. I've spoken to. Uh, I've got had my architect look at it and my planner look at it, and they've said, you know, with the right type of design, um, we can get planning approved. Um, but you know, I'd have to offer subject to planning. So I'm going to do that. You know, who knows? The owner might take it. They might, you know, take a subject to planning deal. I don't know, but. You know, you've got to gotta put your hat in the ring, don't you, with these dudes? Yeah,
1: no, of course, of course. What are your thoughts on new developments and new builds? Because, I mean, I spoke to... I had Richard Little on my podcast and, you know, he's developed a hell of a lot of new builds and he and he quite openly says that I would tell people to stay away from it. it
0: to stay away from...
1: From, from new builds. New builds, and new, uh, new builds and actually building something from the ground. And this is someone who's done 3,000 plus units.
0: Yeah, I mean... I see it in my day job because I'm a development and investment surveyor. So with my clients and stuff like those who are developing new builds at the moment, it's, there's just a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk, particularly when you start going into the ground, you know, there could be all kinds of things, um, you know, ground conditions could, you know, might not be um, suitable for, for new builds. There's just, there's so much more risk and like for the amount of time and effort you have to put into it, um the profit has to be pretty decent for you to go through sometimes you know three years of hell um, to get something out of it so sometimes that's why people prefer to do the smaller buy refurb refinances or you know lease extensions or what you know the smaller deals that you can you can get your capital out within sort of six months that makes for a better business model in my opinion if you're going to go down the development route you have to have a cash flow element to your business so whether that's you have, you know, your rent to rent business on the side that's generating you that monthly cash flow to allow you the time to focus on the longer term development deals. Um, But if you're just purely wanting to go straight into development, it's going to be tough.
1: Mm. It's almost as if you've just read my mind there, you know that you said a few things there that really stuck out, like, you know, three years of pain, I had two years of pain, or just over two years of pain with my one, initially first going through planning, that all went through nicely. And then with a dodgy builder who left us with a hole in our pocket and then little things like, you know, once you get another builder on site, the foundations ain't deep enough. This hasn't been built right. And you're standing there. I remember at one point I'm a year into this and all I've got is a hole in the ground full of water and I could see rats swimming around and I'm thinking, (laughs) is this what I've got? And at that point we're 150 grand in and I'm standing there thinking, is this all we've got? And you know it takes a strong kind of mental state to oversee that and see the end because like you said you know you just getting out of the ground and you can be 100 200 grand in depending on what the size of the build is and Mm. it can be very very painful and and something else you said there which really stood out was you need to have a cash flow strategy on the side because a new build all it does is zap your money you know before you know it it's like i mean we needed we needed a two-tier system basement tanking done on it because it was a basement build and i thought okay this can't be more than five or six grand Seventeen thousand pounds you know to have it tanked properly to have a channel drainage system to have pumps fitted and i'm thinking oh my god james you can't you can't just get your fingers by putting your finger in the air and and thinking okay that's going to cost about this much and things are so damn expensive when you start getting into a new build yeah and one of the things that really I suffered with, like like you've just mentioned there, so I'm going to touch on it, is a cash flow strategy. I didn't have a cash flow strategy. I was doing a bit of contracting work for someone, so it was a few thousand pounds every month to see me through. But if you haven't got that and you've mm. just got outgoings going out, out, out and nothing coming in, you can soon be looking at it thinking, oh, my God, I'm in trouble.
0: Yeah exactly that and I think that's why I've stayed in employment for as long as I have done because you know I am getting that monthly income and I'm working in the field that I want to be in anyway so it's actually been really helpful because at JLL I probably shouldn't say this but we have you know systems for running appraisals for getting comparables you know I've got contacts and connections with both commercial and residential agents so when it comes to like analyzing deals or or getting the information that I need to to make you know my bids and offers it's kind of all at my fingertips Um, so I'm not trying to leave that too soon Um, but if I can build up that cash flow element um you know through buy to lets or you know flipping properties then I think if I can build that up then that will give me the you know, the basis to be able to kind of leave and actually go full-time into development. But right now, I think you've got, to, you've got to balance the two. And if you can, I always try and tell my mentees, like, if you've got a job, try and hold it down for as long as you can. It'll be tough, but mm-hmm. it'll be tougher if you leave your job. Because I think a lot of people come into the, you know, they go to these, you know, networking events or um, property training companies and they're like, okay, I've now quit my job and I've set up my company and I've got my business bank account. Woohoo! let's go but they've got no, you know, sources of deals coming in. They've got like no, you know, like no savings. You've got to have at least six to 12 months worth um, Mm -hmm. of money to cover your living expenses if that's the route that you're going to go down in terms of like leaving your job. So yeah, there's just a lot more to it. And I think a lot of property training companies do it, you know, do people a disjustice in not really painting what the true picture is when I've spoken to people like yourself and other, um, you know, property investors, all it takes is you go in on, you know, your podcast, Ted's podcast or, you know, anywhere. And you hear people talking, you know, real life experiences yeah. Yeah. of being, you know, in masses of, like, of debt and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, trying to advise people not to, you know, be willy nilly about it, to be actually calculated and have a plan and a business plan in place. If you want to go into into development or into
1: property yeah no you're right I mean I always get a good reception with my podcast and with my content that I put out there because I always talk about the disasters and the negative stuff and all the stuff that goes wrong and you know sometimes even Ted says to me goes he goes James why don't you post some of the nice stuff on some of the cars <laughs> you've owned or some of the things that you've done I said because that's not the right thing people need to see no. there's too many people doing that there's too many people showing that you know that classic pose of the watch and the car you know you you don't okay that is all good stuff but that's not what people want to see people want to know want to know about a hole in the ground or foundations not being too deep or a building being too high or having to tear a building down you know that is the real stuff that's the raw side that everybody wants to see or or should be learning about property rather than give us fifteen thousand pounds you're going to go on a training course we're going to make you phone every house on right move and you're going to get one on a on a rent to rent or whatever scheme or yeah. you know no money down and all this nonsense and once you get started and you've been in it long enough you realize that there's a lot of shysters out there and and it, and it doesn't take long to kind of the work out that who make they more are.
0: money from training than they do property
1: yeah yeah 100 no, percent right <laughs> What what are your opinions on mentors and coaching? I mean, I've got my strong opinions on mentors and coaching. Let me ask you what you think about them.
0: I think finding yourself the right mentor is very important. I think having a mentor is is a good thing. Um, I've had many mentors in my life, and I continue to. Some people don't even know they're my mentor. I I you know I message them <laughs> and be like, can you have a, can we have a quick call or whatever? Um, but I think be very wary when someone's asking you to part with money um, to be mentored by them. You have to be confident in um, them as a person, um, what they're providing you um, and what kind of you know, results you know, they've had in the past. You know, look at um, testimonials, um, go on their you know, Instagram page or, or whatever and just see what they're actually putting out there. Um, if you're just starting out and you don't have the money, I think there's a lot, there's so much free content out there. I mean, look at you, your podcast like every week, you know, Property Duo, J2 um, Hub, like there's just so much free content that people can swallow up um, and books and all this kind of stuff. So I think always start with that first, Try to self-educate. Um, and then once you've kind of pinpointed the area that you want to focus in then find someone who specializes in that particular area that can guide you and often you will have to put your hand in your pocket um, and invest in it in a serious mental because so I think I've tried to have free mentors in the past and nothing's kind of sometimes they just kind of go off the face of the earth they don't follow up on that kind of stuff but if someone if you're paying someone and they're accountable and you know they've got the right insurances and all that kind of stuff in place you know you know that they they've got to provide you with it with a decent service so that that's my opinion i think mentors can be good but just be very cautious and sound them out before you jump into bed with one
1: yeah yeah no i agree with you i'm a i'm a strong believer in mentoring and coaching um i'm one of those people myself who needs to be held accountable or almost reined in at times because I'm just going too crazy with stuff so I have a mentor that I've been working with for about six months and I continue to work with her every single month and it's great for me keeps me in check has really helped me develop systems and processes that I've been bad at I'm not so necessarily bad at finding deals or doing that bit for me it's the whole kind of groundwork stuff of making sure my books are kept up to date making sure I'm delegating stuff and Mm. so it's been good for me in that sense and also just generally in life you know I mean um over the years you know my my diet's changed my physical appearance has changed and that's something that I really wanted to bring back into control so I you know I employ the services of a a personal trainer because I know he's going to bust my ass you know (laughs) simple as I don't care what anybody says Without a personal trainer, you will go to the Most people will go to the gym. But yeah. will you train as hard as as without one, you know? I mean, when he's there standing over you at 5 o'clock in the morning, really busting your nuts. And you don't want to do it, but you know, if I didn't have this in place, I wouldn't be getting any better. Um, yeah. So I, I'm a strong believer in mentors and coaches for the right things. And, you know, these guys are professionals to help you. And sound them out right, and I think you'd have a great one.
0: Definitely, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more.
1: Faith, I want to talk to you about gender discrimination.
0: So okay. obviously, construction. Well, that was that was it. A... <laughs> Just <laughs> a diversion. Right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, um, you know. Back in the days, you know, you'd walk past a building site. You might have construction workers whistling at women and all sorts of nonsense. You know, mm. you go into a, you know, a, a kind of merchant, a builder's merchant. So there'll be a load of men there, generally. Uh, you know, hardware shops and all that. Now, you as a lady going into this predominantly man, kind of man-oriented field, how has it been for you? Have you ever felt any kind of gender discrimination where where people have not looked at you in the same light or you know, made that classic comment, oh, here comes a woman. <laughs> I could see her coming a mile off. I'll charge her this much or that. Have you had any of that for yourself kind of go through your journey?
0: Um, I would say definitely. Um, it kind of comes with the territory and it's really bad. I shouldn't have to say that, but that's kind of... I mean, I I don't know. So in the corporate world, I face this a lot, particularly in the field that I'm in, capital markets, investment. It's a very much male-dominated field. So often if I'm, you know, last year I sold um, Blackfriars Crown Court um, and when I was doing the inspections on that property, like these, like, I'd go out and, and meet them on site, these prospective buyers. And it'd be like a large group of like 10 men um, being <laughs> taken around by this like young girl. Cause I turn up in like, I'm quite, um you know, I go to work, we have like, you know, dressed down casual type. So I'm there with my like my boots and my little rucksack. So I literally look like a kid taking around this like 60 million pound building. Um, yeah. And i like looking at me like, wait are you, you're, you're the person we're meeting you're from jail I'm like, yeah yeah that's me I'm selling this building um and just things like sometimes you know the words that people use in um in the workplace and you know the guys will like swear quite profusely and then they'll turn to me realize there's a woman in the room and be like oh you know excuse my language excuse the French I'm like you know language is language feel free to (laughs) feel free to curse as much as you like you know it only really looks bad on you not so much on me um I I, yeah I think that it's those kind of things the little kind of micro aggressive the the unconscious bias more so than anything there hasn't been any kind of outright I'm not going to work with you because you're female type of thing um there's sometimes been particularly if I'm going on development site there's sometimes um the assumption that you know I'm I'm the, you know I've got a partner or something or a male business partner they'll be like oh so, you know they'll almost be looking for the guy and I'm like no no yeah. it's me I'm, I'm the one <laughs> looking to buy this and they're like oh okay cool like so yeah I think once you understand that that's going to be there and it's going to be the case and then on top of that like you know just on top of being a woman I'm also a black woman so there's you know there's that kind of added um you know pressure or other things on top of that that you kind of have to navigate life in a slightly different um in a slightly different way and you have to be a bit more I guess hard-skinned um Mm -hmm. and hard-shelled to you know come like to be able to just bat away um people's assumptions and stereotypes about you and about whether you can afford you know the building that you're looking at it's it's I, I kind of liken it to walking into a store like as a black person going into a store sometimes you will be profiled or racially profiled to you know if you're going into a re- relatively expensive store in the west end people might think "Well, oh, can you actually afford to buy the stuff in here it's the same thing if i'm going on to a development site that's you know going to cost like i don't know one million land value people are like you know it, wait, you're the one buying I'm like yeah 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 like you know but it's having that confidence and then eventually i think people realize um, and as long as you follow up with you know your confidence with you know you, you know your stuff and you get you know get the bids in you know you you do the right appraisal like people eventually and quickly learn that you know your stuff and you know you're not to be messed with kind of thing so yeah it, it's tough it's tough being a woman it's tough being black but life's tough you know you just gotta go for it
1: yeah no wow something you said there that they almost you know you like you said you walk into a high-end store and somebody might profile you on the way you are as a person you know i've had it in the past you walk into a car garage and it's a relatively expensive car garage and you know i always say don't judge a book by a cover because you don't know you don't know like especially in today's day and age with the Mm. you know with the powers of instagram people are making money in in all kinds of fields you know you could get a you could get an 18 year old youtuber who's worth millions of pounds and he can obviously afford nice things but yeah somebody might profile him in a certain way because he's wearing a certain type of clothing or he looks a certain type of way. But I've never, I've never really thought about it in, as in when you go to view properties that you could possibly get profiled. Now, do you know what? That makes a lot of sense actually what you said because in the past when I've looked at projects that have been fairly expensive, before I even get that viewing booked, it's always like, oh, can you provide me with proof of funds that you could actually buy this? And wow, and you think, you know what, 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 I wouldn't ring you, I wouldn't be wasting my time, you know, and it's always always great to see the way somebody's attitude towards you changes. When you realise
0: you're good for the money. (laughs) Exactly.
1: When you send them a bank statement that could cover the purchase price twice or three times over, and it's like, okay, and it's then it's suddenly, yes, sir, how would you like to do this, sir? We can meet you on time whenever you like, sir. And and I think to myself, had I sent you a bank statement that had a minus in it, would you still be speaking to me in the same way? It's mad. It's mad it's how it works.
0: It is mad. It's absolutely mad. Because what's even madder is that you see, you know, our white counterparts not getting the same treatment. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So that that's what frustrates me often. Like if it was the same for everyone, then fair enough. But you know, I've seen people blag their way onto onto sites and I'm like, you know, like they. I know they, they're not good for it. Or we know, so for example, at JLL, there's um, some characters in the market that just always go on viewings, always inspect and always put in bids, but never actually can never complete on properties. Um, but because they've got, you know, the gumption to do so, people just accept them as, as being able to buy. Um, and that's mm. how they're able to kind of navigate their way through. A lot of it is confidence. Um, having said that, I kind of did that, didn't I, on my first deal when I didn't actually have all the money? So maybe I'm a hypocrite.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say.
0: Oh gosh, you know, you've got to fake it till you make it, I guess.
1: Well, it's to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, I get the classic that, you know, obviously, uh, if you spoke to me on the phone and, you know, my name is James, you have a conversation with me, you couldn't really tell what my ethnicity is. And, when I turn up on site and I'm like, "Hi, I'm James," and they, the first thing they look at you is like this, and I always crack a joke, and I'm like, "What? Am I the wrong color? and it, and it just breaks the ice straight yeah. away. But I've had it so many times in the past, and they're like, "Oh, you're James, but you're an Indian man." And what? <laughs> What's that got to do with anything?
0: Yeah. Or you get the oh, you're very well spoken. I'm like, yeah. Why well, would I
1: be? <laughs> <have you. laughs> oh wow. So. A question I want to ask you, so when you decided that property was the field for you and are going to go down it, now, you know, being a black woman yourself and me being Asian, like you said earlier, um, there's certain things that your parents just expect. If you're not a doctor, accountant, an engineer or a lawyer, Mm. you're pretty much looked at, they'll look at you as to say, what, you want to do this? (laughs) How was it for you when you turned around and started telling, say, family members and maybe close uh, cousins or friends that, Mm. hey, I'm in property? How did they look at you and how did they receive that?
0: Um, I think when I told my mum, she was a bit like, oh, like she just had in her mind, she wanted me to be something completely you know, else. So even if I told her I was going to go and be, I don't know, an, an astronaut, it probably would, she still would have been upset because it wouldn't <laughs> be an engineer. Um, but I think. You know, there was a bit of skepticism at first because they were like, oh, you know, is there money in property? How do you make money in property kind of thing? But as I've kind of been documenting my journey through the Property Hustle, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, like I'm now at a point where people are coming to me saying, how do I get started? I want to invest or I want to give you money to invest. Um, and it just the tables have completely turned. Um, and I think the concern, you know, especially on my mum's side of things, was her concern was I wasn't going to be able to support myself because, you know, the property market goes up and down. You know, you never know um, whether you're going to make money or not or if the market's going to tank. So I think that was her concern. It wasn't necessarily going to be potentially steady income. Um, But now she's kind of seeing what I'm doing. She's, like, all for it, like, more than happy to, you know, support me. Um, And she loves telling people that, you know, I work in property or, you know, and all of that. So, yeah, I think it's definitely shifted. It's taken a turn. Mm. Um, but if I hadn't stepped out and, and, and made that decision to go into it for myself, I'd probably be, you know, in a, stuck in a lab somewhere doing some kind of experiment yeah. um, as an engineer.
1: Yeah, I say to people, you only have one life, you know, death's fast approaching us all. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to do what makes you happy and, and, and really just put yourself out there because there ain't no second chances. I mean, you ain't coming back. Once you're yeah. gone, you're gone. So you might as yeah. well, you know, do something you want to do rather than do something you actually hate.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what, sorry, I know it's, you're meant to be asking me, but I was going to ask you, like, what's, no, your, away. Um, what's your kind of end goal or vision with, with property?
1: I think for me, I want to create something that's generational. You know, I want to create something as well as the kind of creating time, which I'm which I'm doing at the moment by kind of really outsourcing a lot of the things I do to my virtual. I mean, every month I'm taking on a new VA because I've got something else to kind of outsource. But ultimately for me, I want to create some kind of generational wealth where after I've left, it can hopefully my boys do something great with it. Their boys do something great or their daughters do something great. And then, you know, several generations down the line, they look at an old picture of James with a pair of headphones on in front of a mic recording a podcast. And they say, that was our great, 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 great granddad who started this. And he built that house that was flooded with rats and he never gave up. And they're somewhere, you know, where they're building massive, massive developments, and it's just passing on. And they're doing some really, really good schemes where, like yourself, they're providing social housing, they're providing hospitals, they're building small communities, they're building houses. So I want to kind of, I want to light the match. But I hope that they can create that into a massive firework and really explode it long after I've gone and you know, somewhere along the line, James is remembered for for his podcast and and doing and making some silly mistakes as well.
0: <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love that. I think we are very much on the same page. Like I've always been about creating a legacy, creating that generational wealth, um, and and get like you know being content in the fact that I probably won't see the fruits of my my labour, yeah. you know, but knowing that future generations will, and that's kind of my end game, my end goal in life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, me and my wife often discuss this. She's like, Oh, when are we going to get our nice house? When are we going to do this? And I said, look, it's coming. It's coming. I think we've, we've kind of settled and realized that, look, you know, uh, we may not enjoy all of it, but uh, you know, as long as we get a few holidays a year and we can chill once the boys are grown up. Uh, Cause we had our kids fairly young. I mean, I know when I'm going to be 50, my, my kids are going to be well into their teens and I'm, I'm yeah. quite excited about that because it still gives me a lot of life to live. But like yourself, I think the fruits of the labour are either going to be you know, pissed up the wall, excuse my language, by my by generations after, or someone's really going to just grow it to something mm. absolutely massive, beyond my wildest dreams.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is the hope, inshallah.
1: So, I want to ask you something, uh, Faith, lastly, um, if there's a young lady out there who's thinking, you know, I really want to do this, I really want to get into property, I'm nervous about dealing with you know builders I'm nervous about this I don't know if I should if she's zooming and hiring asking herself what if what if what if what would your advice be to someone like that and someone like yourself who's actually gone through it themselves
0: um I find it difficult to advise on these things because I'm I'm the kind of person that I like to feel the fear and do it anyway mm-hmm. um I think if you if you are scared if you're feeling you know imposter syndrome or anything like that Try and try something small. Just go to a networking meeting. Um, if you're scared to go on your own, go with a friend um, and just slowly build up your confidence and, and awareness um, of the industry um, and of the key players within the industry and then try and find someone that you can work alongside and learn from, um, whether that's, you know, working for free like I did or um, just offering your time in exchange for their experience and expertise um, and then just get started that way it it only takes you know a small step each you know time to get further ahead like don't think you have to go from zero to a hundred just chip away at it little by little and tell everyone what you do or want to do um, and you'll be surprised like the industry as male dominated as it might be I've found for the most part everyone wants to help um and people mm. love to talk about themselves you know ask people out for coffee you know offer to pay for someone's meal if they'll just give you an hour of their time and talk to you um, and people are always willing to help so yeah I don't think there's any reason to be afraid but if you are take small baby steps um and try and get in with crowds of people that can support you and, and give you that push that you need
1: oh I love that I love that yeah that's some really really sound advice there um kind of brings me towards the end of the podcast now a couple of last questions that I like to finish off with Um, if you could go back to when you were 18 what's two bits of advice you would have given yourself differently
0: take a gap year (laughs) take a gap year and travel the world um and second piece of advice take advantage of your youth and and naivety
1: wow Wow, yeah, we, we all kind of grow up too quick, don't we?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, and before you know it, you're kind of sitting there in your 30s and your 40s and you're thinking, <laughs> wow, where, where did the last 10 years go? You know, it was only yesterday I was out having a great time on holiday with friends and now I'm sitting here um, recording a, a very important podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so but one last question that i finish off on that seems yeah. to frighten people all the time. I don't know why. It's not even that bad, the question. What's one vice or guilty pleasure that you just can't live without, something you have to do
0: all the time? Oh, my God. I don't even know if I want to say this. Basically, I binge watch series. Like, I don't care if it's Netflix, Amazon Prime. Like, I binge watch. And at the moment, I'm binge watching Desperate Housewives.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well, I love that. So even even when you're entertaining yourself and enjoying it you're trying to fit it within a certain time so you're not wasting time that's what I call that
0: yeah exactly exactly I try and like keep I almost have to um I have to schedule the time though because if I just allowed myself I would just watch the whole season back to back um, yeah so I have to kind of have to give myself little pockets like reward myself you know once I get you know get this bit out um then I'll I'll, I'll watch an episode <laughs> <laughs> desperate housewives or whatever the show might be but yeah that that's my advice i'd say
1: oh fantastic so thank you mentioned um mentoring and you've got mentees if people want to reach out to you find out a bit more about whatever you do in terms of mentorship or men- uh, mentoring people and want to yeah. connect you where's the best place for them to reach you
0: follow me on instagram at the property hustle and drop me a dm um and then i'll get my va to to get in touch with you about mentoring.
1: I love it. I love it. Everyone's got a VA these days and it's the best
0: thing ever. Just, honestly, honestly, like my life has just, oh, it's freed up so much time, you know? Oh yeah. I'm I, Cause I, for a long time I was like, do I need one? Is it, is it really worth it? It is worth it. It is so worth it. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I think I need to be like you and get like one for every portion of my
1: life. <laughs> I'm 100% with you on that. I'm trying to outsource as much of my life as I can. Uh, sometimes it annoys my wife because the VA will be asking her things and it's like, well, why can't you ask me yourself? And it's just like, no, I'm, build- I'm building it into my day. But I'm 100% with you on VAs. And I think people should definitely uh, kind of exploit them a little bit more within their business and, and get one to help you with all those all those tiny tasks that take so bleeding long and waste time yeah they're just so fantastic at it
0: yeah exactly exactly
1: so faith that brings me to the end of the podcast so i just want to thank you once again for joining me it's been an absolute pleasure i'm so glad we did this um i think we're going to need to meet up because we were supposed to meet up and and kind of have a meal and talk you around this site so as soon as lockdown's over I'm still going to kind of promise you that meal and we'll meet up and have a conversation face to face. Yes, uh, please. And I'd love to have you on the Property
0: Hustle uh,
1: YouTube as well. Oh, get us booked in. I'd love to do that.
0: Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.